Good afternoon, everybody. Can't be a better day, can't it? To be outside. <laughs> Nobody noticed that we had a little shower already. So, it's very nice to be with so many people I already know quite well, and many new faces coming to, or have come to listen the the topic, about the topic called the Idipada. That's, I think that's on the announcement, isn't it? The Road to Success. I thought more people would be here with this title, Road to Success. In fact, this, um, this mind states called the Idipada have a, um, you know, um, a particular context, and uh, they're sometimes translated as the path or the road to um, power, the path or the road to success or the path of a road to achievement. So sometimes Buddhism is accused of being a bit passive and now Vipassana practice you hear all the time just be still, there's nowhere to go, nothing to become. And if we attach to that, we can suddenly really become maybe a bit sleepy or passive. So it's an interesting um, list of four mind states needing, needed to um, have our goal reached. So this is my introduction, brief introduction, and I'm going to do taking refuge in the Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Yeah, a traditional... I assume you have invited me to speak, so we don't usually speak without invitation, but it's not so formal in that way. Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Namutasa Bhagavatu Arahatu Samma Sambutasa Buddhang Dhammang Sangyam Namasa So, I continue. <laughs> the context of this particular list, I found two which I really like. One that I had never seen before is actually those four idipada, and I explained, I will tell you what they are, actually leads to what the Buddha called the encondition, or nibbana. So even though they're very kind of uh, have expressed the past in a very proactive way, very active way, they're, 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 they are supporting the path to Nibbana, of complete release from all suffering, all, not one left. And uh, <clears throat> so the first Idipada is called Chanda. It's a very nice word because in Buddhism, 
we uh, hear or read in books that desire is absolutely banned, no good. If you want something, you may think, I'm not a good Buddhist. That's how people can interpret Buddhism. It is a shame, isn't it? So they stop wanting anything and they start feeling depressed. So that's not the aim of Buddhism, to make you more depressed or miserable. The idea is to find joy through the path. <laughs> so chanda is good because when people say, oh, I want this and this and that, you know, should I let go? But it depends what you want. You know, what kind of desire it is. Is it something that's going to support your path of awakening and liberation? Or is it something that's going to entrench you into a, a deeper state of misery? A deeper state of confusion and anger and so on? You know, so chanta is useful. Then I say, no, actually, we need desire is fine as long as it is associated with what the Buddha would uh, define as skillfulness. And that's something maybe perhaps you never heard about within the Buddhist context. Skillfulness is that which definitely supports the development of the mind in, the, in a very, <clears throat> you know, making the mind strong and wise and able to let go, able to see clearly and, and so on. Long list of qualities that comes together with practice. Um, so, it is desire, as I said, and um, it's, um, this is a word, you can translate it as zeal, as zest, as some translation, it's interesting, it's a satisfaction. Now, what do you get satisfied with? That's the last one is taking care of this part. Okay, it's called Vimamsa, the fourth one is called Vimamsa. Okay, so you, that's the investigation and the examination of the object of your satisfaction. And then the second one is called uh, Virya. And Virya in Pali means effort, energy. So it's a quality also that is needed to practice the path, virya. Chanda is only found in this list, as far as I'm con I've, I've seen. But virya, you find that uh, listed in the Noble Eightfold Path, in the uh, five um, faculties and the five powers, balas, we call that but also. And so um, that was uh, uh, virya, is this energy effort. And the third one is chitta. Chitta is translated as mind in English and it points to the, 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 the attention that is needed from our mind on the thing we want to achieve. Yes, so you have the desire to achieve something, then you have the energy to achieve it, and then you have the attention and the quality of mind that is needed to really make the most of it. Then the fourth one is Vimamsa. And Vimamsa has a whole range of uh, kind of translation. I brought this because I don't always remember all of them, but I thought 
It's like the, quality, the, the process of investigation, examination. You can call it also the process of contemplation, of reflecting on things. On what else? Um, you evaluate something. And the, the translation of Ajahn Shah, which I have great faith in, Lompochakovi Mamsa, um, seeing cause and effect, seeing clearly cause and effect of our action, of our speech, of our mind, thoughts, and so on. That's an interesting so Wisdom tends to simplify everything. But you might not understand if you're not a practitioner yourself sometimes. We need lots of words when we don't practice so much, right? When we don't meditate, perhaps. So these four aspects of the mind um, are described by the Buddha as um, quality that lead us to achieve the goal we have in mind. And of course, it's, um, you know, in a traditional sense, it's what manifests when you develop concentration, for example. According to the uh, teaching, you, the concentration practice is, um, uh, how can I say, come, come to the, the, is achieved through this quality of desire. I, sometimes chanda is also uh, translated as willpower. Now, willpower in our society is not balanced often. We have a willpower. It's often connected with personality, ego, and so on. So it doesn't always have a very positive connotation. Somebody will willful. It's got a strong willpower. It can be positive, but it's more often associated with something out of balance. Yeah, a little bit too much will, the power maybe is, could come get down a little bit, because it's a will that perhaps can't see um, life beyond the thought that drives the will. It's not something that's connected perhaps with uh, observation and uh, reading the situation in such a way that one can uh, act in that situation in the most wise way, you know, in the wisest way. Um, so when you practice meditation, you notice very often um, you, can, you can get a clearer sense of what those mind states are when we look at their antonym, you know. So you see a lot of our suffering come from the fact that we, we lack clarity in our mind. We lack a sense of purpose often, a sense of direction. And we feel very often we, we don't know which way to go. We are a bit confused. We are bereft with doubts and questions that maybe do not have the answer that you are searching for. So, as a practitioner of the Buddhist um, teaching, of course, uh, that kind of, uh, you know, what you search, what you want to uh, establish in your life as the, the most unimportant direction in your life is, doesn't come suddenly. 
It's not something you will know immediately. You know, it's the effort, the interest, the mind attention, and the uh, ability to sustain uh, examination, uh, to sustain the sense of questioning and looking how things work, how things kind of interact with each other, how things condition each other. You may see, for example, you want peace of mind, you want a harmonious relationship with your, with your world, with your children, with your family and relatives and so on. But perhaps you don't have yet the clarity of mind to see where things do not work. You do something and it's not working. You feel disappointed. You practice all the metta in the world that you could. You meditated hours on the vision of your mom and dad radiating with a halo around their head because they're brimming with metta. Yet when you knock at their door on a Sunday afternoon, they still tell you something you feel makes you feel miserable. Why? So life is complicated outside in the world, but don't worry, the mind is so complicated that you don't need to envy people that look at the mind again and again, like monks and nuns, for example, living in a monastery. You might think, oh, if I go to a monastery, maybe things will become simple. No. <laughs> they are simple externally, you know, on an external level, of course they are simple. You know, I used to be much more excited with things in my life than just, you know, spending years doing the washing up, cleaning kind of toilets and enduring the same face every day, you know, sort of you know, in cool in the corridors of the monasteries and and knowing you have to be with them for the quite a number of years perhaps. So you can't choose very much, you know. But there, you know, still, the mind is so complex that it doesn't, it's not a short journey before you understand all its tricks. And there's tons of tricks. The, first, first, the biggest tricks is a, there's several, several, but the biggest trick is to, you know, the mind to make you believe that things are going to work. According to its agenda, of course, if I get exactly what I want, it's going to work for sure. Yeah, if I do this, if I eat that, if I see this, if I go there and there, I'll be okay after that. If I have that much money, I'll be okay. I was just reading a little sutta before I came here on the very well-known uh, Burmese T-shirt, really don't know very much, but uh, I was just interested. Uh, he was talking to one of his disciples, and he was going slowly through this uh, kind of question. So if you get this, would you want more of that? And if you get that, would you want more of that? And he goes on and on and on and on, until if you get this kingdom, do you think if you want, if you are like a, a leader of this kingdom, would you think you want more of that? And in the Burmese, they seem to be quite greedy. They said, yes, more of that. And once you have the kingdom and a country, would you like more? Yes, I want the world. You know, and then when you're the when you have the world, do you still will you be happy? No. <laughs> so you know we want and want and want, and yet that kind of wanting doesn't take us to our goal because if you come to a Buddhist monastery, it's quite likely that what you're searching for is something you might not even know. 
we don't know sometimes. We search for something where we don't know. And it's important to be at peace with that because this search is what is alive, do you understand? It's a search itself which gives you joy, right? It's, it's a search that doesn't have yet the, the, the sort of old answers for memories and from past experience. This is what is so exciting, is a search, but you don't know the, the response. In fact, by the end of it, you probably realize that your search was your life, the way how you lived, you understand? So in a way, we're searching for something that is going to bring us a very, often a very kind of um, conflicted agenda. We want peace and quiet, but we are going also to be excited and fascinated by things. We want clarity of mind, and then we do, we do things in our life that just make us even more stupid you know, than what we think we are already. We, you know, we, we, we speak to people even though we want peace and love and love and kindness and so on. We find ourselves, you know, consciously or unconsciously hurting somebody with our words, with our actions. So you can see the mind is tricky. It's not stable yet. It's still in the dark. Yes, it's still in the dark. One day it does something, the next day it does something the opposite. You feel you want to be good, but really a bit nasty, that wouldn't hurt too much. <laughs> Had enough of this goodness, you know. Let's do something really stupid. That's the mind. It's not you, do you understand? It's not you. It's the mind itself. That's how the mind function is made up of opposites. You know, you want to be a saint and then you want to be a sinner, don't you? You want to be a holy little Virgin Mary or something. I don't know. I'm not a Christian, but <laughs> you want to. In England here, so I'm from France, so well, they're Catholic, but well, they do use the Virgin Mary. But, you know, so, so there is this conflict in ourselves, which is very painful because that's the, where the confusion lies. Because we want to find the answer through this particular um, instrument, the mind. We think the mind is going to give us the answer. In this context, okay, the mind, if I, I don't know if, I, if there are more things that I've said here. Well, it's, you know, it's like the, when, when, when you actually, when you do something, okay, you have already the desire to do something. You have the energy to do it, and then do you have the mind which is really attentive on what you're doing? You, know? you notice that to be attentive to anything, we have to really enjoy it. You notice it's very difficult to enjoy something that we don't like. So how many things in life do we like? What do we do with the thing we don't like? As a meditator, we know as soon as we, we, we hear in the teaching, when you don't like something, you just want, you kind of try to push it away or pretend it's not existing, you know. Don't like somebody, you just don't look at them. Something in you make a whole pretense so they're actually not there. And then they feel ignored. This is a world. <laughs> and then they feel ignored. And then the whole kind of cause and effect keeps kind of uh, going. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's how our life kind of breathes, breathes misery because we are not very conscious of the effect we have on ourselves and on the world we are, we are part of. So if you really um, reflect on what the Buddha is saying, you realize that many things in our life, we don't have this idipada, the factors of success. Okay, the factors that lead us to be successful in what we want to do because maybe we have one of them. Maybe we can examine everything, but we don't like it. <laughs> we have no interest in these things. Often, maybe the profession we have, we have to do a lot of mind work on objects that do not interest us at all, except earning money, perhaps. So you can see why our mind is not happy or not joyful, because it's caught up with doing things for reason that doesn't do not make our heart very happy. What makes the heart happy brings joy to the heart, right? Ask yourself, what is it? Mostly when we end up in a situation where we like what's happening in that situation. You know, people come to the monastery here and they say, oh, it's so nice, it's so peaceful, etc., etc." I said, yeah, just wait, wait another few weeks. And then you'll meet your mind. <laughs> and right now you met Amarawati, isn't it wonderful? Beautiful mind, Amarawati is a beautiful mind. <laughs> peaceful. But human mind, until it's enlightened, uh, is not particularly peaceful. For a long time, it's not peaceful. Eventually, you get more peaceful because you don't expect to use this conflicted, confused mind as your main way of responding to your life in everyday situations. Our response to life, when you begin to practice meditation and dharma, you, begin, you see that it comes from a different place, doesn't it? The response that I bring joy to me, it's a response of a mind that is attentive and mindful and awake. It's a mind that is fearless, is not frightened to take risk. It's a mind that has cultivated the path of loving kindness and seen the disasters coming from being unkind and angry and frustrated. When you've seen that clearly, then you don't have any doubt that this is not the way to find joy and happiness, basically, as simple as that. The way to find joy and happiness is to, um, to do what a very dear friend of mine, who used, she used to be called the grandmother of Dharma in America, Ruth Dennison. Some of you maybe have heard of her. And she, said, she said to me just something very simple. Never take your mind from what, from what you're doing. Now, that sounds very simple and ordinary, doesn't it? But she didn't mean the head. <laughs> she didn't mean the eyes. She didn't mean the, you know, the face. Like, look at your, you know. Look. She meant the inside, inside you. Where is your mind? And... 
what you do with it. Most of the time, our mind is, distra uh, is distracted. We are there looking at the book where we are thinking about hundreds and thousands of things. So the mind is not with what we are doing. It doesn't have the power of the mind because it's fractured. Right? It's not a kind of a... It doesn't come to a one-pointedness. It doesn't come to a gathering of attention of energy to gather with mindfulness. It doesn't have that balance, that kind of strength, power, force. And so um, when we um, go through these, the thing that struck me more than even those four factors of the mind is when you look at their opposite, or what I said, antonym, okay, you see what is the opposite of chanda, zeal, zest, interest, love, sometimes love, right? Satisfaction, something you like, you really like doing it. Some people even translate it's like the obsessive desire to do something. You know, you really love it, this zest. You can drive everybody crazy with your zest because nobody's feeling quite the same as you. Yeah? Have you noticed how people get really bored after a while once you're telling the story about your latest boat or something? Tell that to women who's not interested or men who's not interested in boats. But you are fascinated, you just love whatever it is. I just said boats off my head, my head like that. And so um, what happened is that um, most often we just are kind of tepid. Is our life just in a kind of tepid mode? You know, it's like there's not much kind of thing that excites us, uh, fascinating us. It's kind of tepid. And unfortunately, people think they have to kind of change the temperature by doing things externally. Right? To get really, really, well, hot is not the best word, but to get really, um, you know, in a kind of cool, in a cool and peaceful, you know, and really joyful. We say joyful, maybe to express a temperature, joyful, lots of joy, in a very different way than what we imagine, right? The way of joy comes actually from this, a kind of a, commitment to understand the mind, to um, see the mind as it is, to accept the mind as it is. The mind, the Buddha says again and again, our body is not ours. We say that because when we die, we're not going to take it with us. We don't even know where we're going and we don't even know if we can take it with us anyway. But the body is not ours and then the mind is not ours either, fortunately. But very often, even though intellectually we may know this truth, in actuality we still act by body, speech, and mind in the way that will make somebody who knows about these things clearly see that one is still attached, that person is still attached to their body and mind, still identified. Every time it hurts, this is a prognosis of identification. There's nothing wrong with hurting. There's nothing wrong with being identified 
It's just that there is another way, which is actually leads to joy. So that's nothing wrong, but you have a choice at some point. You have the choice of just continuing to go down the pathway of habits, blindness, tepidness, sleepiness, torporousness. Anything else? No, I don't have the antonym here. <laughs> anyway, boredom. Yeah? Being bored with life. How many people are bored and, and depressed? You know, life is quite boring. You live a life lived in an unawakened, unawakened way is actually quite boring because it's habits after habits after habits. The mind is caught up on the treadmill of habits. And habits are, some of them are really nice and friendly, and some are, you know, have their opposite of being destructive, confusing, blinding, etc., etc. So it's really important to know the mind. Now, as I was reflecting on these four aspects of the mind, it made me realize how we don't talk much about it, although very effort is talked a lot about. You know, but we talked about a balance effort, you know, the balance effort, not the, the, effort, the effort of just powerful willpower, you know, just kind of go for it, no matter what is, in, what is in their way, they'll just flatten everything to get to their goal and make so many people unhappy on the way. Yeah? You see that in young people often. Still, even older people, you know, some people have just a habit of being willful. They think something got to happen now. Right? So, um, you know, the opposite, if you reflect, what is the opposite of zest, chanda, joy, you know, so on. So reflect on that. Do you want your quality of life to improve? Do you want your quality of being in this world a more joyful experience? Reflect. How many times a day I'm actually sleepy? Not even physically sleepy, but my mind is sleepy. Is not awake. Because to be awake, it takes a lot of effort. But the effort has to come for a reason. Sometimes we don't want to put a lot of effort because we don't know why. After a while, when you have really established that sense of wakefulness in yourself, you'll never want for a second to be asleep. You never, you couldn't actually. Once you're woken up, it's difficult to go back to sleep. So, don't worry. You're already probably quite woken up already, otherwise you would not be here on a, such a beautiful sunny day. Amaroti is quite nice, though, but still. You have already the deep interest in waking the mind up. You know? So it's not like anybody's lacking here, otherwise you would be able to sit for a minute listening to me, right? So, second one is energy. So, what is the opposite of energy? Lack of energy, okay? Being tired, being exhausted, being flat. You know, so many adjectives you can find to, to express the lack of energy. 
sometimes the lack of energy comes from being disinterested and bored. You notice when you're bored, you can't drag yourself because you can't move. You're bored. Your mind is like really stuck. Why are you bored? So that you can ask your question, why am I bored right now? Can I wake up to boredom? How fun. Rather than to kind of slide down with boredom and end up more miserable. Boredom doesn't lead anywhere. The only interest in boredom is that you can learn from it. Okay? Boredom is a good teacher. I remember experiencing a lot of boredom in my early life as a nun because I used to have, like many of the people around me, a much, much more exciting lifestyle, lots of choices and options and things like that. And then, oh, gosh, you know, spending hours at the monastery, cold and damp, eating one meal a day. Mind you, that wasn't boring. That was really exciting because you was so crazy that you could never get bored with a lifestyle. <laughs> getting up getting up at four o'clock in the morning, chanting in a cold meditation hall. Fortunately, we're so heated up and young, you know, so that we're full of heat and so that was not too bad. And then, you know, no breakfast for the first two years, so just like there. So you work all morning with no breakfast, just a cup of tea, mind you. This is something that, that's the joy of, this, of, of life, of taking some risk, is that that cup of tea was probably the worst one I ever drank, but it was in that particular circumstance, it probably was the best cup of tea of my life. Like I had this experience also another time, when I knew it was the worst cup of tea you could drink, and yet, subjectively, it turned out, you know, to be the best. Just to show you that the mind is not something stable you can rely on. And yet, we still depend on this mind that sees things in a certain way, feel and experience and, and, and think in a certain way according to what your perception makes up. You know. So, what can bring us energy? Well, it's not easy, is it? The world is so depressing right now. Wherever you turn, ask yourself, what is it that brings us energy? You remember the word search I, I, I mentioned at the beginning? Now, search in yourself, what is it that can bring me energy? You'll need an answer. The search is what is truly alive. Right? We don't know. I mean, if I, had, if I had to wait myself for my rational memory mind to solve my life, I think I would have gone a long, long time ago. You know, if I had kind of slept and got really bored and believed in my boredom, I'd never transform my mind. It would not be possible. The transformation of one's mind, which I never mentioned yet, till now, the transformation of the mind from misery to joy is, um, you know, is not something that happened by itself. It's a work. 
work. And people, we can make a lot of excuses to not do this work. Only a few years ago, I started using the word training. Before that, we were still in a kind of 60s, 80s psychological jargon where just relax, you know, follow your bliss, do what you want, take it easy, open to the universe, enjoy, have fun. I know that's dope. <laughs> just have more fun. You know, just easy, easy, relax. You did not dare when you teach in America to say, well, there is really effort and training. Even on me, I know the feeling, because I did, even, though I, even though I train as a dancer, so I did have a great appreciation for training. But you only want to train with something about something you love, don't you? But often the word training starts conjuring up all kind of horrible, kind of army-like you know, sort of disciplinary connotations, you know, training. Just do this, just just feel free and feel open and open to your heart to the universe and just, you know, just be one with the sky. All your thoughts are just kind of clouds passing through the sky anyway. Nothing much, you know, fluff. But when you experience those things, do you feel it, your thoughts are fluffy? They're pretty heavy, aren't they? <laughs> That's why you need training to realize that what you see is temporary, right, true, but not forever. You know, and that's the work needs to be done. Are you interested in actually, do you have the zest to do, to actually find out what your mind is about? Because our mind is really in a grave, grave, serious situation. Because it's got six doors, six doors from the mind out, so six doors. And the six sense objects of those doors are both incredibly attractive, incredibly disgusting, incredibly wonderful, and not so wonderful. So can you imagine the poor brain trying to kind of figure out what to do in this kind of chaotic universe there? That's why the Buddha out of compassion. What a compassion for the Buddha. It's extraordinary. Because he could have said, well, you know, I've reached the past. So be it. I don't think they'll understand anything what I'm, you know, attain anyway. I could just go home and I don't know what would I just be, whatever. Just sit for the rest of my life quietly and eat on one grain of rice or one meal a day and not have all these disciples for 45 years. And if you read the Vinaya, you know, the... The monastic discipline, you just wonder how the Buddha could cope, really. All the rules of the monks and the nuns, Vinaya, not our, 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 our tradition of nuns is actually only about 38 years old. It's a new form. We created it here at Amarawati. The ancient tradition of the monks and nuns, of the ancient monks and nuns, you know, the monks are still, can continue the tradition nowadays. The, Nuns disappeared about a thousand years. Nuns older disappeared about a thousand years ago. But all the rules that they have come from a monk who didn't, didn't do it right, or a nun who didn't do it right. For 20 years, just to let you know, the Buddha never wanted to establish a monastic discipline because he said, you know, I had a few powers, you know, talking about psychic powers, the ability to see what his disciple was doing or where they were at. Uh, he knew that none of his disciples could break the natural sila, what we call virtue or ethic. 
None of them were no. They were they were in their mind. They were far in advance to actually ever break Sila. Don't meet those often, do we? And after 20 years, one monk committed an offense that the Buddha was, was quite a serious offense, actually. It one of the offense, it's one of the, what they call the Parajika offense. It's the first category of offense for the monastic discipline of monks. And it's one of these offenses that once you are, you are expelled and you cannot become a monk again in this lifetime. I mean, maybe you can go to another tradition, but in this Theravada tradition, you can't be a monk again. Of course, you're not going to show maybe your your paper, what you've done. People have cheated, maybe, and reeled in somewhere else, you know, in another country or whatever. But in our tradition, that's how it is. And so um, many of the rules are about, you know, things like nuns kind of storing too much garlic, you know. And so we had the bhikkhunis could not eat garlic anymore because one nun just was really... She did a lot of chanda for garlic, a lot of zest, you know, to keep garlic and use it. Maybe it was like healing, sort of, you know, we all know the powers of, the curative powers of garlic. But anyway, for some somebody else, it was, you know, the speech, maybe, abusive speech, angry speech, or, or because we are celibate, maybe another one will be just hanging out with women for the monks, and men for the women for too long and too, <laughs> right? So it's all, the rules are all about stories of monks who broke the standard of sila. So when we uh, look at our life, you know, what is it that actually brings peace and happiness and joy? Do we get that through feeling asleep, unawake, lazy? This is not a judgment. I'm not kind of asking you to judge yourself, but to reflect seriously about how we use our time, how we use our life, our speech, our work. You know, how, what do we make of it? Are we just accumulating tons of information through TV, through newspapers, news through this or are we waking up and say how can i use this day today it's not easy because you know the mind is the law of gravity with the mind is very powerful it goes down towards the easy pathway it follows the habitual pathways it doesn't take much risk to wake up and find a new way to perhaps do something Right, like in the morning, you may you may get up and you feel grumpy. What is there to look for? You feel grumpy, some of you. Another day, so those who practice Buddhism maybe have kind of already trained their mind to feel I feel grumpy, but there's the grumpiness. Hello, grumpiness. Good morning. You can make friends with your grumpiness, and then you just know it's a passing feelings and sometimes it's pretty heavy because you're full of aches and pains maybe or what you think about is not particularly fun work boss money lacking money 
all, all kind of topics which do not kind of inspire the heart very much. Instead, they might be just a great, you know, opening the tap of worry and anxiety and threat. So, how do we deal with that? So everybody, everyone, every human being is experiencing this in one form or another. So, there is no miracle in the way, I mean, there's plenty of miracles, I think, but there is no, things do not happen by themselves. You know, you need to really put your attention, the attention of the mind onto what you want. If you want really to have a good relationship with your partner, for example, what needs to be done? Notice. For you, not for your partner, that's a trouble. Very often, we try to make our partner better, happier, so that we have a better relationship. No, that's not the way. You're going to drive that partner crazy. Because who are you to look after somebody but you don't look after yourself? Because the partner might see other things about you that needs quite a bit of work. Do you understand? <laughs> you might need to have to do a little bit of work to be as good as the partner you would like to have <laughs> in your mind. Right? We project onto others, you know. When that partner is nice and friendly and so on, what can I do to make this partner nice and friendly and so on? You know what brings joy, niceness and friendliness? Is when you are free. And you are free when you stop wanting people being the way that you think they should be or you want them to be. This is a, an experience I've had so many times. It's a risk because they might stop. Not, you might, the relationship might change. The relationship might change in the sense that when both people feel free, the, the relationship might not work anymore. Many relationships are kind of based on needs. Have you noticed? I need you, you need me. Once we don't need each other, oops, oh dear. You've let go of your dysfunctionality, okay, and you don't need each other. But the world will, you know how the world is so kind of obsessive into making us believe that once you get a relationship, thing will work wonderful. I know some relationships which are very wonderful, but they're very rare, usually. You know, people, partners together, doing a very wonderful job together. Not often, because most of the time, once you wake up, once you're free, once you're detached and so on, people, you know, it's, it's not, you realize that a relationship was based on attachment and wanting something from, from the other person. Or that person wanting something from you. It's a sort of co- codependent it's interesting as I was kind of browsing on the internet the meanings of the how people define these things, you know, because, I mean, I, I've read the suttas, I know these words for 30 years, it's not new. 
But many Buddhist teachers or Buddhists in general try to find a way of using the Buddhist teaching in such a way uh, in, so that it, it's really um, uh, workable in our daily life, you know, trying to translate in such a way that you can use it every day, you know. So at the end here, I, I, I wrote it, I took it, took it the Fuidipada, so Achanda, so it's translated as love of duty. And it's a very important word, duty, nati, uh, in, uh, I don't know if it is in Pali or in Thai. But I think sometimes we've lost our love of duty because um, we just become too, I think, a bit too spoiled in a very, you know, in a, in a world that offers so many choice and so much freedom. When I was in Thailand, duty was very important, you know. The word duty and responsibility, I mean responsibility. And here in the West, where you say responsibility towards the parents, towards the mother, for the Asian women who come here, for example, it's, uh, uh, you know, it can be a big problem for them because a big kind of confusion because they have this sense of duty. You have to do something for your parents or you have to respond to their expectation and so on. But I notice the duty doesn't give much pleasure in the Western world. I have a duty. It's kind of connected with the negative feelings. It's like I do something that I don't want to do, but I have to do it. I see duty myself, since we use this world is used here, um, the love of duty, and then virya, effort in duty. And cheetah, thoughtfulness regarding duty. Sorry? What is happening? Oh. Would you like to lie down? Can somebody help him to lie down? Are there any nurses or doctor here? Who could find that the cause, if there is a cause? Otherwise, we can call an ambulance. And maybe don't go around too many people. Leave, leave the, please, can you just have one or two people around this gentleman? Those who are not immediately involved, please don't stay around him so he can get a bit of air. Don't worry. You can make this gentleman lie down in the room next door or at the back. Okay.
So let's sit for a few minutes together. Yeah, and I see if I can continue or not. It's about seven minutes before the end of, uh, before it's three o'clock. So let's just gather our attention maybe and wish this gentleman to be well as a group. Can open some of the window, maybe. That's enough, that's enough. That's enough. So, just to kind of end this um, reflection on Idipada. Um, you know, these qualities are already in ourselves, you understand? They are not so far away from us. In fact, the teacher I was just reading, he wasn't talking about the Dipada in particular, but he was talking about virya effort. He gave an encouragement to his student, you know, by just making this person realize that each time you put effort into something, you know these things already you have raised some energy with it. And as you raise some energy, have you finished your energy or can you raise more effort? When you finish raising this effort, is there some energy left? Or can you raise a bit more effort? You see, the tendency of our mind is not to think in those terms, is that I've raised a little bit of energy or let's go to sleep now. Let's have a snooze, I'm tired. There's a wonderful teaching of the Buddha, and I'm not sure I can't remember all of it. It's like there is a kind of person that says, um, I need to work, but I'm tired. I need to work, but I need to sleep. I need to work. I have to find the sutta for you, because all this reason, there's reason about, you know, but I need to do this, but I need to do that, you know. As a reason not to follow you know, in your life, there's always a justification for not doing something, basically. I was pointing to the fact that the mind can be very clever to find always a reason to not, to not do what we have to do. As monk and mon monks and nuns, we examine that, you see? We examine. Every time I had a sitting until four o'clock in the morning at Chitters, I remember, that's when you, be, you begin to see that you cannot trust the mind that you think you are. And you're not this mind, fortunately. Because this mind will tell me, I can't do it. I can't do that. No, no, I can't do it until four o'clock. It's too late. No, no, I said, I'm going to, no, I'm going to die. That's always the last argument, you know. After all the argument had gone, it's like, you're going to die. And then you listen to this. This is my mind talking to me. Hello, I'm going to die. Yeah, sure, I'm still here, though. And I've survived, I'm still here, you know. But every time, every week, I will have that same scenario. This is called habits. Right? Or your mind going around and around. This person is like this, and you're in your rush. You never change. And and then you've just been doing a 10-day retreat, you know, everything is changing. You know, the mind is full of metta and kindness, and you've seen the light. You finally walk up really big time, and then you go back out of the monastery, and 
catches again, and he did this, and he did that. And... Things pursue us, you know. That's what I notice. The mind is pursued by by its itself, by itself. It pursues itself. So I remember when I was angry or something, you know, I just have to laugh. I some, you know, anger is not fun. Let's face it; it's pretty horrible. I call it a poison. Now, personally, I don't have any qualms calling it a poison. It took me a long time to call it a poison. Intellectually, I can always say it's a poison, but now it is a poison. It's no doubt. Okay, there are other ways to deal with what my anger was dealing about. You know, the thing I was dealing about was there are other way to deal with those things, other way than anger. So at some point, we see the light a little bit. But what I was trying to say is that, um, you know, how many times, I like just to finish a little bit the, uh, you know, how much we forget ourselves about this, all the good things we have in this mind already. And get jumped straight away on the bandwagon of habits. Straight away. And why do we do that, you say? We do this, we do that, we do this. Because basically, those four aspects are not there, not present. We do this because if we had really chanda, zest, interest, desire, and if we had energy, effort, okay, the capacity to be patient and to sustain something for a long time, if we had the capacity to use our mind to think clearly, to practice with it, to use the Dhamma, right? And then if we had really the Vimamsa, which is this whole capacity to investigate, look in different side, look at different side of a situation, wake up to actually be able to be right and look at life in a way that can go into guide it in a, in a, on a good road to liberation and joy, yeah? That's what we need to remember, those four aspects. To wake up. It's not waking up with, you know, I'm going to kind of uh, be at the point of my nostrils and then meditate on the breathing. That's great, but if you're careful, you're not going to wake up. You're just going to absorb into something, go in and out and in and out and in and out. By the time you did in and out ten times, you fall asleep. Right? So life needs more. These four, uh, these four uh, points, you know, show us that we have some work to do in this life, which is not just about earning money. You know, make children, uh, have sex, uh, have fun all the time, and or just despair and go down the hill. Can we actually use this life and this energy of life and this mind? to wake up, to learn something, to actually make it in such a way, you know, when we learn something new, each moment is new. Do you understand? Or do you see the next moment? Have you already planned the next moment in your head? Don't need to tell me. But have you planned the next hour, the next year? Have you planned the next year? A bit long, yeah? Maybe. But we do a lot of planning that might never come. You know? So we don't leave the mind free. We don't leave the mind kind of happy and 
experiencing the joy of being present with reality. But the reality is that we really don't know a thing, do we? We don't know. We come out of Amarawati and we just kind of might not be alive. We don't know. Hopefully we will be alive. But what I mean is to treat the mind as it is, it dies every moment. Every moment the mind dies. Stop bursting and you keep on reversing it so that it continues to give you, it continues to give you the illusion of time, of tomorrow and my problems and all that sort of things. If you're just in the present moment, where are the problems? And you say, well, this is not true. I have lots of problems. My house, my mortgage, my cat, my dog, my child, my car, my job, my retirement. I don't know what to do now. I'm just hopeless. You know, all these things. How keen. We are very keen sometimes of, on things that are not particularly constructive, you know. So instead of en en kind of enlivening our life, we kind of uh, bring it down and down and down. And we don't even use the energy of our mind and body to wake up like a flower, you know. I've revived quite a few flowers in my life as an experiment. I didn't want to do anything powerful with it. I just notice how you can see a flower and it looks really dead, like oneself sometimes, you know, depressed or not good. And then we have the capacity to kind of sprinkle water on us, put ourselves into the sun of mindfulness, sprinkle a little bit of water with mindfulness water, right? A bit of love and compassion, shake the earth a little bit, you know, move and dance and do things like that. And what happened? Feel alive again, don't we? And even the mind has changed. You have changed already. I'm just thinking about it. <laughs> we know each other. <laughs> it's all right. You know, look, it doesn't take much, does it? Two. The energy has already gone up. <laughs> right? It doesn't take much, eh? It's just like a little plant. We're just like a big plant. Some of them are more kind of big and thin and little and blonde and you know, but we're just little earth plant. That's what I feel more and more, you know. I mean, especially as you get older, it will be easy to think that you just, you know, just kind of dwindle, like you see the little plant, you know, if we if you observe plants in the, you know, my garden. You know, they're beautiful, gorgeous, absolutely fabulous, fabulous, fabulous. And you can see the mind say, oh, stay like that, stay like that. Don't, don't disappoint me. <laughs> and at some point, it goes down and down and down, brown, dark brown, and then just dust on the, in the pot. So we're all the same. Relief, isn't it, to know that we don't have to be superhuman. Gods. So, everybody's awake now after one hour of hearing teachings, you know, that are not particularly exciting. But I just talked about the plant and the and dancing, moving like that. Suddenly, see how easy it is to move 
inside. <laughs> I know what to do now to wake up people. I just have to start moving. <laughs> anyway, five past three. Probably time to have you know a bit of watering, <laughs> watering the plants. Yeah. Okay. Thank you.